Acts 4, we're going to start in verse uh, 31, where we left off two weeks ago. It was fun. Easter is always a great time. It's like a Super Bowl for the church, you know. And it's great to see people coming. And, and it was our three-year anniversary. I didn't make a big deal of it. But last year, as a community, we turned three years old. And it happened to be our largest gathering we've ever had on a weekend. And we rejoice in that. Not in that numbers. We're not like statistics freaks. Maybe you are. Uh, but more people experiencing truth. More people connecting with God. More people hearing the scriptures. That's always a good thing. Would you agree? And so we just pray that this will be a year of increase. Um, but like I said, church isn't just a place that you go to. We are a family. And what we're going to see in today's text, I'm going to read a lot of the end of Acts 4 and a lot of Acts 5, is going to see that there are two sides to family life. Family is a blessing. I don't know, that may not ring true for you because of your history. But family, if you have it at its best, is, it's a blessing, it's a gift. But yet every family has that uncle. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Every family has that, that uncle or every family has that issue. Like we don't want to let people know like what's really going on because we're quirky. There's no such thing as a, a perfect family, our family included. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you read my mail a little bit. Our, our family has a unique gift. I am the second. I have an older brother, younger brother, uh, and a younger sister. Of the four kids, all of us have the same unique God-given ability. Um, you know, you do it with your hands, thumbs up, right? All four of us with our big toe can go thumbs up on it. I don't know if you could do that. I don't know if you believe me. I think we got a photo of it. I think (laughs) thumbs up, right? Thumbs up. If you have flip-flops, try it right now. It's just amazing. Anyway, drop that down. I'm losing people. (laughs) Everyone's got it. Family is a mixed bag. And, and so what we want to see today is what was the family like? We've been looking at the early community just after Jesus uh, was risen from the dead. What did they do? what they do well? Where did they fall short? So now we get into the nitty gritty. Well, let's just read uh, Acts 4 and we'll start in verse 31. We, we ended there two weeks ago after they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So this is, this is church at its best. The Holy Spirit is in the middle of it. Everyone recognizes it. And the people are empowered to do something. They're speaking the word of God with boldness. It's what we pray for. That this on the weekend is not the end, but it's the means to a bigger end. And that you feel more emboldened to live out your faith and to speak it in a community that doesn't necessarily want to hear about Jesus. So this is church at its best. And then there's Yelp. How many of you use Yelp? It's the best little tool. You're going to find a restaurant or anything. Yelp gives you a description if you've never looked at the app. Yelp gives you a description of what a place is like and looks like from the reader's perspective or from the person who ate there. So this is Luke doing Yelp on the church. Here, verse 32. All the believers, look at, look at his review. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That's unique. They're together. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in 
all of them, that there was no needy persons among them. Look what you see so far. They're really together. What does really together look like? The apostles who walk with Jesus are demonstrating the resurrection is really happening. There's life change. What happened when Jesus was walking is still happening in the community. That's powerful. Everyone, though, is being used by the Spirit because there's no needy people among them. Where there is need, there's someone else who has a bit extra. And no one is forcing anyone to give. They're doing it. Look at it says in the middle of verse um, 34. From time to time, those who had owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, a couple of weeks ago, one of our leaders, Steve Marshman, did a whole teaching on generosity. Because Luke is writing in cycles. Acts 2 and Acts 4 do the same thing twice. Luke doesn't want us to miss it. So Luke 2 talks about the church being generous. Luke, I'm sorry, Acts 2 talks about the church being generous. Acts 4 talks about the church being generous. And Steve did a teaching on generosity. We got it on our podcast. Download it. I'll summarize what he had to say. It says the church is marked by regular sacrificial generosity. That's the church. Read Acts 2, read Acts 4. You see the same thing. The church is marked by regular so, so no one is forced to sell a house, but regularly people really go the extra mile. No one is saying who should get, but rather the community. They bring it to the apostles' feet and say, you know what? You're leading the way. We trust you. You know the needs more than we do. And they distribute and there's no lack. No one has a problem that doesn't have a solution. And that's Yelp. So if you go to a restaurant and you see reviews, sometimes the experience is like the person reviewing it, but sometimes it is not. The Bible is absolutely honest when it comes to what life is really all about. So if you're looking for a beautiful picture, uh, think of a family. There are beautiful things in every family, but there are some skeletons in the closet as well. Well, Luke is about to give us the flip side. Here's an example of church at its best. Look at verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, and then in parentheses, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So you get Barnabas uh, or Joseph, but he's got a nickname. And here's what we're going to get. We're going to see a comparison between two people who have a nickname and both don't live up to their name. So I'm going to ask you this question. Are you going to live up to your name? You call yourself a Christian, right? Many of you, not all of you. And if you're not there yet, totally cool. Hang out, listen, ask questions and find if Jesus is convincing. And when you see that he's convincing, follow him. But let's just say you do call yourself Christian. Are you going to live up to that name? Are you, 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 you take the title, you take the nickname, I'm Jose and I'm a Christian, but how are you going to live up to it? Well, Barnabas lives up to his name. Four things we know about Barnabas, they're right there in the text. He's a Levite. So by Jewish background, his group of people have the responsibility to lead at the temple. So he is a church guy in our language. He's a worship leader in our lingo. And so what we're finding, and this is a subtle thing, 
is the gospel starts to spread all levels of society. So, so Peter and John are not official religious leaders when they encounter Jesus, but their life has changed. But now even the Levites, those inner circle uh, Jewish leaders who are guiding God's people, they're understanding who the Messiah is and they're following Jesus. Secondly, he's from Cyprus, which is in Greece. He's not from a Jewish city. Now, why is this important? You're going to find, if you follow Jesus, if you become a Christian, that God doesn't waste anything. So he's from Cyprus, a Gentile, non-Jewish community, and God is going to use that. So what does that say? That says, even before you were following Jesus, God had his hand on your life. And he put you in a family, and he brought you from a place And if you let him, he will use that. So Barnabas is one of those. He's going to be listed more than 25 times throughout the book of Acts. He becomes one of those leaders who is used by God to spread the gospel to non-Jewish communities. And it makes sense. Born a Jew in the Jewish life, so he's able to speak to Jews. From Cyprus, non-Jewish town. God does not waste anything. Third thing is he is a preacher. His name, Barnabas, Bar means son of, and that's why he's son of encouragement, but son of Nabi, Bar Nabi, and that is of prophecy or a prophet. So the NIV, what I'm reading, says son of encouragement. So you think, oh, like he's a nice guy. Was well, actually more than that. He's an exhorter. He's, the, he's one who speaks. He's a preacher. He's one who gives good news. He's, he's background from the worshiping community. He's probably respected, and now he's a preacher. He proclaims the message of Jesus. And then, then the fourth thing that we see is he's wealthy. Most people did not own land. Most rented, they did not own. But he's wealthy enough that he's able to give and sell some land to give it to the church. So church at its best is when a guy or a lady encounters Jesus and has a real transformation. And that's what you see in Barnabas. Real life change. How do you know? He becomes one who's actively involved in doing good for those who love Jesus. So he lives up to his name. You read the rest of Acts. Barnabas does not disappoint. He is a son of exhortation. He's a a preacher and encourager, someone who gives the word of God and, and, and pushes you to live it out. Now, we get the opposite. So Acts 5, Luke puts two families together. One does it right. The other disappoints. Ananias and Sapphira. So let's read verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, Sapphira also sold a piece of property. Now here's a twist. Here's a difference. Verse 2. With his wife's full knowledge, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So you have Barnabas, son of encouragement, son of exhortation, son of prophecy, someone who's going to speak the word. Well, Ananias and Sapphira also have names with meaning. Ananias means the Lord is gracious, and Sapphira means beautiful, and it's a play on words here. That's what their names actually mean in Hebrew. But Luke puts it in there. They would all know this, by the way. But Luke puts it in there to show the contrast. You see, Barnabas lives up to who he's called to be. But Ananias and Sapphira, 
Mr. and Mrs. The Lord is gracious and beautiful. They fall short. So what do they do? Let me read verse two again. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. He kept back part. And that is the key. What we're going to read here in a minute is thrilling. Two people drop dead. Wow. Come to church week after Easter and hear about two people falling dead in the middle of the gathering. And don't worry. We do have a defibrillator One on the outside. We have people trained to CPR. If it happens, you know, the Bible happened and it happens. If it happens, we got you covered. We have EMTs waiting. But seriously, what's going on? Why in the world? And when you read this, you start to say, I don't know if I believe that Bible. That's just, that's just crazy talk. People falling dead. What kind of God is this? And why would I want to follow him? Well, this is the key phrase. He kept back for himself. Um, it's nosfizo in Greek. And it doesn't mean that he just, he just oh, forgot some was in his pocket. Nosfizo means to misappropriate funds. Or embezzle. As a matter of fact, it's only used one other time in 1 Timothy 2 in reference, do not steal. Don't steal. Don't misappropriate. Don't embezzle. So what's happening is not someone says, man, I'm going to live generously. I sold my house for, and I'll use a round number, $100,000, which doesn't make sense because you can't buy one for that. But like $100,000. And you know, he keeps $20,000 and gives 80. That's like generosity. It's, that is not what's happening here. It's not like God is saying, you didn't give me enough. It's something deeper, misappropriating, embezzlement, hypocrisy. That's what happens. Now, now the, the story tells us the details. Let's just keep reading. Verse three, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan, oh my gosh, so it's not even Ananias and Sapphira. It's not just the Holy Spirit at work. Satan's at work. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received for your uh, for the land. And then he teases it out. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So we, Luke does not give us all the details, but we know what's happening here. Somehow, before they sold the land, they made an agreement. Either they told the apostles, we're going to give you 100% of what we get from this piece of land. Or they said, it's $100,000 and we're going to give the $100,000. But there was an uptick in the market and they got 120. You know. So rather than doing all of it, they're like, oh, we'll give the 100. But ooh, we have some extra and we're going to keep it. We don't know the details, but we do know that they're putting on a show. And something is wrong inside the heart. Now, a couple of things that we're going to see here in the text. And I, I want us to catch this. Peter has discernment from the Spirit. So what do we know? Because there's a lot we don't know. And we're just getting Yelp. We're getting a review. A good review for Barnabas. Bad review, Ananias and Sapphira. We don't get it all. But we know that Peter has the Spirit at work. And so what we can count on is that no matter what is going on here... We only see part of it. Church, Barnabas, Peter, 
Ananias, Sapphira, mixed bag, all family, but not everything is A-OK. And I think we could say with confidence, in this room, nothing has changed. Some come and are worshiping out of a heart that's transparent and pure. Some are putting on a show. Here's the good news, depending on which perspective or which person you are. The Spirit has power to see through what we say to what we really feel and think and what's really going on. So you can't lie. You can lie to humans. Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the apostles, but you can't lie to God. You can, but you can't lie and not be exposed. And that's the troubling thing of following Jesus is when we follow him, he's willing to expose the things that are really there. So Peter's got the spirit. Second thing we do know is Ananias and Sapphira are Jesus followers. So someone say, well, God struck them dead because they were pretending to be Christians. Luke does not say that. The contrast he gives is between Barnabas, a rock solid Solid rock. Sounds like a good name for a church. A rock solid follower of Jesus and Ananias and Sapphira who are following Jesus but are not living it out and are caught off guards. What does that mean? That means everyone in the family does not do the right thing. I mean, sometimes as family, as followers of Jesus, it's possible. Now, what's the implication? Ananias and Sapphira are under Satan's influence, and that is the troubling part. That's the part that just rubs us. So it does not say that they were demon-possessed and had no control. Because what you see in the life of Jesus is there are times where people are demon-possessed and they are not able to control their behavior. And Jesus comes and casts out the demon and usually then they're in their right mind. Then they're able. No, it says that Satan has influenced them. So what am I saying? Like we talked about Easter weekend, if you were here, that there are two leaders and there are two paths and there's God and his son, Jesus and truth. And there is Satan and evil and wrong. And as a follower of Jesus, I still have to choose. That means following Jesus does not mean in one moment you give your life to him, he gives you the spirit, and then you're, you're going to be fine. No, it means now you have the ability to walk in the spirit and keep in step with God, or you can be under Satan's influence. And this is why many of us have been skeptical about Christianity. And many of our friends, or maybe you're here today, and you're just like, I don't know if all this is right, because if following God is the right way and Jesus is his son and he's the truth— then why is there so much hypocrisy in the church? Why do people say one thing and do the other? Why do they do things that make them look good, but then when you look under the cover, you realize something evil is going on or off? It's because this is always at play. In God's church, the spirit is at work. In God's church, Satan is at work. And he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's leading Ananias and Sapphira into believing that they can lie to God and still claim to be okay. They're under Satan's influence. What we also see is that God sees their actions and their motives. And this is, this is what you need to know. As a follower of Jesus, God sees not just behavior. That's why if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching. And he's like, you know, some say you shouldn't commit adultery. Well, that's cool. Here's the problem. If you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you have committed adultery. Whoa. Jesus goes beyond the obvious. So obviously, you shouldn't 
lie to your church. Would you agree? <laughs> and you shouldn't embezzle from the church. Would you agree? And all that's obvious. But there's a deeper work. What Ananias and Sapphira are caught up in is not just an act, lying, holding back, not being generous. It's the heart that God sees. Now, here's what we do not know. We don't know how long God was at work in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira before they meet Peter. The Bible does not tell us, so we can't read into it. But when you read it, it seems like, man, first time they sinned, I follow Jesus, first sin, bam! I mean, that's just like bad news. I wouldn't join that church. But that's not what you see. What we see is that they're confronted. So let's just keep reading. Verse 5, Ananias, when he heard this about his lie, he fell down, down and died. And, I love, this is so great, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened, right? You came to church on Easter, you wore pastels, life was great. And then you came the next week and God exposed your sin and you died. And everyone was scared. So they all went to West Side. They all went to Bridgetown. They went to Sunrise. Sunset, a death church. <laughs> no! But what you do see is God judges sin. So we're going to have to get into that. God sees our motives. So what's, what's going on here? Well, let's just read the rest of it because the text is, is helpful. So verse 6, verse um, 6. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. So he's buried same day. It's done in the Middle East. They quickly bury you in the grave. Decomposition happens fast. So nothing telling about that. Verse 7. About three hours later, so they're in, still in the middle of this. Guy has died in church, and they go to bury him. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Who wants to have that counseling session? Yeah, I was, your husband was here. I don't know what happened, but um, he, he died. So um, how are you? You know, that's just, this is an awkward conversation. So evidently she doesn't know her husband has died yet. Um, and so verse eight, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price? $100,000. Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Wow. Then the young men, talk about the young men, poor guys. Twice in one day, the young guys, it pays to be old, man. You're young and strong. Who knows what they're going to ask you to do then? The young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And then the second time about fear. Great fear seized the whole church. Oh, and all who heard about the events. So what is going on? What we do know is that Ananias and Sapphira wanted the credit for a big gift like Barnabas had given a big gift. They wanted the credit without actually being generous. And this, my friends, while the selling of land and giving it to the church, that may seem like that doesn't parallel for us. Have you ever thought, I ought to do this? And subtly in your heart, subtle. This is a good thing, but also it will put me close to so and so. 
If I just do this, I will be seen as a leader in the church. It is a subtle sin, but it is one that God sees. So their motive wasn't necessarily to relieve the cares and needs of the poor, is they wanted to be seen as more generous than they really are. And remember this, God judges them both. Now we know that Ananias, uh, we don't see him getting a chance to repent, but he may have had a chance. We don't know. Sapphira had a chance to own up. Did you see that? Did you really get that much for the land? She had a chance, but she chose to hide and, and her life was taken. Now this is gnarly. Let's just not kid ourselves. This is one of those things that you go like, how am I supposed to understand this? And when it comes to church life today, was it like God like hardcore in the first century, but now he's like chill? What do we do with this? Four things I want you to write down that may help you get a better task, uh, not not only in the text, but about how God deals with judgment. Number one, the judgment comes from God. So there's one thing between, see, you and I, we want to judge other people and their own hypocrisy. So someone says, man, I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there, which is a hypocritical statement at its core. You're already judging by saying, I'm not going to go there because they're hypocrites there. You're already judging in the heart and saying you're better than them. When chances are, I'll be blunt, you're not. You're probably not. Your life is probably not better than everyone else's life. But hypocrisy is when you and I start pointing the finger, I'm better than, I'm worse than, I'm better than. And notice what happens here. Peter's job is not to judge Ananias and Sapphira. God judged them. Peter's just the spirit-filled leader who calls it what it is and speaks the truth in love and says, this is wrong. So judgment comes from God. So we're not going to apply this and start saying, okay, come on, what are you giving? What am I giving? And, and who's right and who's wrong? That's not our job. But we do, we do feel confident that if I try to live a life pleasing to God, God will see it. And if I choose to ignore God, here's the flip side of that, God will see that too. So all of us get the same opportunity, like Barnabas and like Ananias and Sapphira, to honor God with our life. So the takeaway is honor God with your life. Secondly, instant judgment is not the norm. You rarely see this in Scripture. There are three or four places. Remember Achan, Joshua 7. God leads the people of Israel into land and they take over Jericho. And God simply says, do not keep the treasure things for yourself. Bring it all to the household of God. Achan though, and it's the same word, nosfizo. When you translate the Old Testament into Greek, the same exact word is used. Achan kept some of the treasure things for himself and didn't tell anyone. And if you read that story, you find out that his sin is exposed and he and his whole family suffer because of it. So this isn't an everyday occurrence. Grace rules. God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. God is a God of second, third, fourth, umpteen, 15, 20, 30, as many chances. God loves us and God is forgiving. But we cannot say that God does not judge, right? So there are times and we don't know why. Why now? Why them? Early on in the community, just like in Joshua, they had just taken their first city. God does a dramatic work to remind the people, don't mess with me. I see it all. You, you, you can't lie to me. Early church, 
miracles, church explosion, and then this dramatic event. Could it be that God just wanted to set the, the record straight? Like, hey, I love you. Grace is here. Jesus is forgiving. But don't treat me like your best friend. And don't lie. And I am a part of your family. You are a part of my family. But I'm holy and I'm righteous. We don't know. But we do know that God judges. Thirdly, the community is as shocked as we are. Did you notice? Great fear. Great fear. Like fills the whole church. They're all shocked. And, and the people outside the church are shocked. So this isn't every day. But it is a reminder that fear is a gift if you use it well. You see, fear is a friend that alerts us to the dangers of sin. And so if you are afraid to lie to God, well done. If you're afraid to go outside of God's plan, that's incredible. If you're afraid of the consequences of sin, that is helpful. Fear is not our enemy unless you're afraid that you could be honest with God. Well, then you, you missed it. We ought to be a people who have a healthy sense of fear and reverence and awe that God is worthy to be worshipped and he wants us to walk with integrity. So, so this beautifully pops the church bubble. If you are looking for a perfect community, many of you, you came for Easter or whatever, and you're thinking, I'm not sure if this is a church that I want to be a part of. Just know this church is full of hypocrites. It's great. It's true. Because we're all pretending, maybe not to the, maybe not to the extent, no, I didn't call you hypocrite. I called you a hypocrite. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm saying what I know about myself. All of us have areas, all of us have areas where we're not 100% truthful. All of us are trying to put our best foot forward and are afraid of you getting to know the full and real me. Um, what does this lead us to? There, there's a balance here. I think when it comes to church, there are givers and there are takers. And so this text doesn't drive me to a fear of being a part of God's people, but rather it exposes that in the community, there will always be givers and takers. There'll always be those who are like Barnabas and who are generous and liberal and are, are getting it right. But at the same time, if I'm not careful, I can fall prey to being a taker rather than a giver. And that's what we do know about Ananias and Sapphira. They were more concerned about what they would get out of it, whether it's prestige, honor in the community, or, wow, the ability to be generous and hold out part of what I promised to God. I can't judge them on the details, but I can judge my own heart. And that's what I will tell you. This text has kicked my tail all week long. Because it's made me realize, how often am I trying to impress you? Sound funny, sound smart, sound like I know what I'm talking about. How, how much of what I do is to impress people rather than just be faithful to God? And I have to say, like, man, I'm going to side when I look at my own life at times with Ananias and Sapphira. And I'd rather you be impressed uh, why do I need to put on my best side and, instead of being transparent? Why do I feel the need to show the best me? What am I teaching that I'm not living out? Where is my heart? And so this has been so therapeutic. It's been so helpful to remind me that I always have the temptation to live like Barnabas or to side with Ananias and Sapphira. 
to do the right thing from a right heart or to do the right thing with a wrong heart, which in the end is wrong. And God is looking not just at my actions, but at the heart. It also made me think about joining a community. You know, joining a community really means something. Let me just speak about church for a little bit because it's so helpful. We come from all sorts of walks of life and church commitment means different things to different people. I don't know what church means to you. Maybe this is weekend book club where we come and we, you know, socialize and we have some food and we read a little book and get a little thought and I feel better. Maybe that's all it is for you. Maybe this is a place for you to serve. Thank you for those of you who say, you know what? I come to the community not so much to see what I'm going to get, but maybe I've got something to offer this group of people. Wow, that kind of heart really makes the difference. I think, though, many of us, when we think about choosing a community, when we think about choosing a church, we think of Yelp. We think of the church as a restaurant. So we choose a church with the same kind of mindset. What's on the menu? And so we look. What's on the menu? What do they have to offer me? What's the vibe? What's the mood? Because, you know, good food with a bad vibe is just not a great experience. I'm a foodie. I need a good food, but I also want the right vibe. So, so what's the music like? And what's the culture like? And, I mean, is it, is it overly suburban? Is it slightly hipster? What, what is this? Uh, what's the vibe? And do I connect with it? Is it a good value for the price? No one wants to pay too much and not get good value. So maybe church is like a restaurant. And if I've put this in, am I going to get all I can? How's the service? Are they nice? Are they friendly? What do I get out of it? Now, that is a way to evaluate joining community. Can I just suggest? It's not a healthy one. But we see in Barnabas, keep coming, keep in the study. We see in Barnabas this character, this attribute, this heart and actions that are in line that is absolutely life-changing. And God takes this humble Levite, Cyprus, this man who maybe no one would have thought would have been a world changer. And you read the book of Acts and God uses Barnabas in profound ways. And it means that he wants to use us. So in the middle of the messiness, here's the good news, because some of this seems a little dark. In the middle of the messiness, what we read when we read the whole, whole text is that the spirit of God is still at work. That, that, I don't want you to leave thinking like, wow, man, if I don't get it 100% right, God's not going to be with us. No, no, no. What, what we get from Luke is that the apostles are being used in power. The people are being generous. There are no needs, yet it's still not perfect. So even though we don't have our act fully together, the Spirit of God is at work right here. And he is changing lives, and he is doing good. And so don't see it as a downer. If you don't get it 100%, God's not with you. No way. God is willing and able to work in our mess, but he doesn't keep us there. So there are times when he exposes our sin. There are times when he exposes our hypocrisy. And that's what really this is all about. There's no room for hypocrisy in the church. It's there. And hypocrisy is, is saying one thing, but doing another looking perfect and hiding sinfulness. And so the question this morning is not, do we have hypocrisy in our soul? The question is, what are the areas of hypocrisy? And will I cooperate with the Spirit? Remember, Sapphira, did you really sell it? God gives us a chance when he exposes it 
to call it what it is and say, Holy Spirit, I repent. And I want to live in a way that is not trying to please men, but please you. What would it look like if the hundreds of people here, if we all had that attitude, like Barnabas, willing to be generous without having to be recognized? That if we saw sin in our own lives and repented of it, that if we were transparent, what if we were the kind of people that those far from God long to know? Not because we're better, but because something has happened in us and we don't want to play games, but we want to live authentic lives. Not perfect, but exposing our mess to the spirit who heals and saying, God is changing me and God can change anyone who's open. What would it look like for the community if we model that kind of behavior? I think we'd see this place explode, frankly. People aren't interested in another church, but they are interested in people whose lives are different. And that difference is Jesus. So this morning, what we want to do is we want to respond and ask God to expose, not judge, but expose the things that are worthy of judgment so that I might repent and then take steps that are the overflow of repentance. Because to say to God, man, this is off in me is one thing. But the real transformation happens when I say to God, this is wrong, and then I move towards what is right. So there may be some correctives. God this week may lead you to do some things as a result of the change of heart this morning. God may lead you to undo some things. Things you've started that were out of a selfish heart that maybe you need to retract. Maybe you need to pull out of. I don't know what it is for you, but I know the Spirit of God had a laundry list for me. Because he's good. And I love it. And I want to live different. And I know you do as well.